You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Good morning, church. Well, thank you for worshiping. You know, regardless of whether or not we have the modern luxuries that we kind of just grow accustomed to, um, thank you for being worshipers. I couldn't help, as I was worshiping, just uh, I couldn't help but think biblically the heritage that we have as worshipers, specifically as worshipers using music. Uh, that is not a modern invention uh, of the modern church or an expression, expression of our culture. You know, music as a conduit for worship is an age-old practice within the household of God. And so I pray that we would never confine it to, you know, just our modern luxuries. We don't have to have a projector. Those joining us online, we were without a projector this morning, and we went for it. Uh, with or without it, we went for it looking at him, because he's the focus. And so if you think of like, as I was just worshiping, I was just thinking, really, what's needed for the church to be the church? What's needed? Is a projector needed? No, a projector's not needed. We needed a, a sacrifice so we could come into the, the presence of a holy God, and that is Jesus himself. We need a beautiful one to look at, and that's Jesus himself. We need more than one of us in order for us to be the body and for us to manifest him, he himself as the body. It's all about him. And so thank you for pushing past um, what could be a distraction, just looking at him. I think there's something, there's something of maturity that's born in us when we push past um, some of those things. Not, not to say that we're gonna do without a projector uh, Willingly, and in the future, we're gonna we're gonna get it fixed, and uh, and we're gonna worship the Lord, even in these modern days. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Hebrews chapter three. That's where we're gonna be this morning as we open up God's precious, precious Word. Amen. It is precious. The fact that God gave us a clear revelation of what He is like. He could have, in our own logic, he could have left us completely in the dark. But because of who he is, this loving, kind, benevolent, patient God, he revealed himself to us. So praise God for his word. This morning, I want to share with you from my heart about allegiance to Jesus. Allegiance to our King Jesus. Yes, this one who came in the flesh 2,000 years ago, but predates, predates his arrival as a baby. He, he has forever been. He's the uncreated one. He's the creator of all things. That is our king, and we're going to behold him this morning and stoke devotion and allegiance in our hearts to our king, Jesus. I want us to just consider our struggle with sin or our sin issues that we face, I want to consider them from the lens biblically as rebellion. I want to picture them as, as rebellion against the Lord, which may sound kind of harsh, may sound kind of stark, but just track with me here for a moment because this is, this is biblical language. There's many ways biblically for us to understand what this, this cancer of our souls is. You can think of it as unrighteousness, so God being perfect, being right, Outside the bounds of that is unrighteousness, and that's what sin is. In the most like uh, common language, sin can be thought of as missing the mark. God set out a mark. 
a target and we missed it. That's sin. Sin can be thought of biblically in, in the language of just what's given to us in scripture. Sin can be thought of as breaking God's law. So using that language of, that we know in society. The law was set forth and we broke it. Well, there's another kind of tier of imagery or language that's given to us to understand the severity of the cancer that plagues our soul that we're born into, which is rebellion. Rebellion against God. Us assuming that we know better in our heart of hearts. And I I just want to stow good news in your, I want to give us good news this morning to liberate our hearts from this rebellion and spark and stoke allegiance to Jesus alone. I grew up in a a large family, a blended family. So seven of us kids. After my mom passed away, my dad uh, married a lady with three children. So my dad had four kids. She had three kids. Um, Kind of like the Brady Bunch, except for not as happy all the time. Like we weren't, there's a lot of fighting. There was a lot of conflict. There was a lot of bickering. There was a lot of, uh, I was the, the middle child, so I just kind of got shuffled around from room to room, depending on who was fighting that week with each other. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of room sharing, and I was kind of the, the common uh, ambassador of peace in each room as the, middle, the quiet, passive, peacemaking middle child. But, but as a middle child, I did observe in my older siblings the, the angst of the teenage years, which is oftentimes marked by rebellion, right? Teenage rebellion. And deep in the angst of like teenage rebellion is this kind of thought that I know better. My parents kind of got the, this way of doing things, but I know better, right? There's something that rises up in these young adolescent hearts that say, yeah, they, they don't really know. This is, this is they're, they're, they're stuffy, they're, they're, they're out of step with what I'm facing and I know better. I'd propose to us this morning that that is at the root of our sin, is this idea that we know better. Who is God to tell me how to live my life? What's the best way for my life? I know better. So I want us to understand it from that lens, and we've all been through those years, our younger years, where we assumed that we knew better. If you're a teenager in the house, just, just remind, just re- remember what I'm saying this morning. There will be uh, years in the future, 20, 30 years, we will remember, oh yeah, Pastor Drew said, I don't really know better, and, and now, I, now, I, now I know. I didn't really know better. I think I know better, but I don't. So I want to propose that this sin of rebellion starts in our hearts, Our hearts, biblically, are the core of our being, our source of emotions and will. And this, at the core of this rebellion against God is this heart posture that's positioned itself to say that I don't need a leader of my life, that I know better than Jesus' leadership. Jesus himself is inadequate to lead my life. And so there, the uprising begins. It begins in our hearts. It's that that voice from the very beginning, that voice from the garden that says, did God really say that? Is that really what your your father says? Well, maybe, maybe you know better. 
It's that voice, that age-old voice, that ancient voice that says that refrain. But there's good news. The answer, the antidote, is our heart being won over day after day. While the day is called today to, the, to allegiance to the Lord again and again, he is the better leader. He has the better mission. He has the better purpose for your life. It's our King Jesus. So let's look at this, Hebrews chapter three. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, I've, we've talked in Hebrews chapter one about it, how Jesus is better than the prophets of old. Hebrews chapter two, he's better than the angels. Well, here we're gonna see that he's better than even the premier leader in Israel's mind, which is Moses. So let's read this. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Or fix your attention on Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession. So, family of God, you who share this calling, who have heard the calling of your eternal destiny, and you're responding to that calling, fix your attention on Jesus. Look at him. Look at your leader. And may your gaze never turn to the left or to the right. May he continually have your attention. Look to Jesus. Which is easier said than done in this setting when you're surrounded by like-hearted believers, you're surrounded by friends or family, and we're all singing a unified corporate song to the Lord it's harder to do it in the coming and going, right? Monday through Saturday, it's harder to do it. When push comes to shove, when the rubber meets the road, when, when either we're given plenty or we're faced with lack, it becomes much tougher for us to fix our attention on Jesus. And so we'll see this repeated. The call is for daily to fix our attention on Jesus, to turn our gaze upon him, this one who is greater than the prophets and the angels. This is our heavenly calling to look upon the one who is seated above it all. He's the word sent from heaven. He's calling us to our eternal destiny. Here, the writer of Hebrews calls Jesus our apostle. Apostle means sent one, so he's sent from heaven. And he's our high priest, which literally means bridge builder. The priest is, the, is the, the mediator between God and man and Jesus, we talked about last week, is that perfect high priest. Let's keep reading verse two. It says, this one who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in God's house. So here the writer of Hebrews is pointing the hearers to the audience to who they thought of as the premier leader. Moses. He's the, the best prophet that Israel has ever had. And so he is, he's using a, a, a connection point for his audience that already has their high regard, high respect. Moses is the cream of the crop. Here's one who is faithful like Moses was faithful. That's Jesus. Let's keep reading verse three. It says, for Jesus has been count, counted worthy of more glory than, than Moses. 
As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Jesus himself is the builder. We talked about that last week. He's the builder. He's the building. He's the temple. He's the lamb, the sacrifice. He's the high priest. Jesus is all in all. He fills all. He is all in all. And he's worthy of more glory. It says, verse four, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Jesus is God. And this is the heart of his message. Here's Moses, Moses, who who receives a lot of respect from us, a lot of glory from us, but here's Jesus, high and exalted above Moses, above the greatest leader that you could recall. Jesus is even better. William Barclay said, Moses did not create the law, he only mediated it. He did not create the house, he only served in it. Moses did not speak of himself. All that he ever said was only a pointer to the greater things that Jesus would someday say. Moses, in short, was only the servant. Jesus was the son. Moses knew a little about God. Jesus was God. This was the revelation that would then set these people free. The revelation that Jesus is the greater leader. He is the greater leader for your life. Verse five, it says this, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting is in our, ho- in our hope. Here he speaks to our purpose and our mission to be a house, to be a people. He referred to that in uh, Hebrews chapter two as well. The Lord's purpose amongst us is for us to be a dwelling place for his presence. And our builder is Jesus himself. So the Lord is leading us somewhere, folks. People, he's leading us somewhere. Church family, he's leading us somewhere and it's towards being a people strongly, confidently established in him. No more, no more like being tossed to and fro. No more flakiness. No more immaturity. Lord's destiny for us, where he is moving us, is for us to be confidently established in him. Where the thing that we boast in is, is him alone. Our confidence, our boasting is in him. I mean, I think that's one big reason we've been so set on worshiping the way we've been worshiping as of late is because Jesus is our boast as a church family. And from the very get-go, as people gather in the house of God, which I'm not saying the building, but as a household of faith, as we become the house of God, he comes to dwell in our midst, our eyes are on him. Not one person, not one leader, but our eyes are on Jesus And he becomes the one who is exalted in this place. So as visitors come in this place, as hungry ones that are seeking for truth, seeking for answers come into this place, their eyes are quickly moved to the one who truly is the leader for their life. It's Jesus himself. Okay, verse seven, it it says this. He begins to quote Psalm chapter 95. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. 
on the day of testing in the wilderness. If you remember, that's what I said. This uh, rebellion begins in our hearts where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. This rebellion is connected to the hardening of our hearts. It's the grace of God for us to hear that refrain, today, if you hear my voice. If you hear the voice of the Lord, you can know there's still grace available for you. But oftentimes that rebellion starts in our hearts. We begin to give credence to those thoughts and say, maybe we know better. This, my life doesn't seem to be going right. Maybe, maybe I know better. God tells me to do this, but what does he know? I just feel like he's distant. He's detached from what, what, I, what I experience. And there the rebellion begins, the hardening in our hearts. But it's the grace of God that says, today, if you hear my voice. I've, been, I, I've tried to make it a practice in my life that if I hear somebody else talking about experiencing the presence of God or sensing the presence of God in a moment, to rather than say, well, I don't feel that, so maybe that's just their emotions or sensations or their, um, something they've made up in their head. I've rather said, oh Lord, soften my heart that I may know you. Lord, if you're here and you're manifesting yourself in that way, not to compare myself to them or to, to say I need to seek some sort of experience all the time, but I sure don't want to miss out either. If the Lord's moving in a place, rather than having a posture of cynicism or unbelief, I'd much rather have a, have a posture that says, oh Lord, if you're here like that and you're manifesting yourself, God, I want to know you. I want all that you have for me. I don't want to be on the sidelines. I don't want to be a spectator. I want all that you have for me. And my, so my repeated prayer is, Lord, give me a soft heart. I want that childlike, tender heart that has all that the Lord has for me. Today, if you hear my voice. So if we're not hearing his voice, we got big problems. Let's get on our knees and say, Lord, open my ears to hear your voice. To hear that call of grace. Because rebellion starts in the heart. So there they were in the wilderness, putting the Lord to the test. Verse 10, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. Like I said, this is the age old cancer of our souls. They have not known my ways. Verse 11, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So the judgment that they received was to not enter the promised land, this place of established rest. They could be at rest in the Lord. I want us to rightly understand this language about God's wrath. It says he was provoked. There's nothing unpredictable about God's wrath. God's wrath is always a revelation of simply his holiness and his justice. He has established a way, and when we rebel against it, what's stoked is clear response to that, is clear uh, judgment for that. So we only understand God's wrath correctly if we understand God's holiness and the seriousness of our sin. It's actually our immaturity 
in our downplaying of the seriousness of our sin that also avoids the wrath of God, that avoids this, this aspect of God's holiness and his justice. It's this, it's this part of us that says, well, I know my issues, I know my sin, and, and we give ourselves kind of an out. We give ourselves a, a, some grace. We give ourselves a, a, excuses rather than saying, God, I have rebelled against you. There are clear consequences for me rebelling against a holy God. And we cannot have the beauty of the love of God without his justice and without his holiness. Properly understood, God's love is a holy love. Time and time again, that's why we will declare Jesus Christ crucified as the perfect picture of God's holy love. Because it's there that we see the clear, brutal, serious realities of our sin and the wrath of God displayed on the cross, which is brutal and grotesque and violent. But at the same time, we see the extravagant beauty of a self-sacrificing God that would come and give of himself out of love for these people. We didn't have to save, but he did in his extravagant love for us. So God's wrath is always tied to his holiness and his justice. Let us never misunderstand God's wrath as some sort of earthly human anger that flies off the handle unpredictably. It's not like any wrath you've experienced from your, heaven or your, earthly, uh, your earthly father. Maybe you had a dad that had a quick temper. This is not God's wrath. God's wrath is always a response to our rebellion against his clear requirements, his clear righteousness, his clear standards of right and wrong. And if we rebel against it, there's consequences. So if you want your heart to be tender to the Lord, learn about his ways. What the Lord wants is humble and contrite spirits. Lord, keep our hearts tender before you. Keep our hearts tender before you in your presence that we'd hear your voice. And Lord, I pray over any heart even right now that misunderstands your love or misunderstands your holiness. Lord, that it would be answered in your work on the cross that they'd see perfectly displayed in you the key, the answer that actually fits it all together. Like it becomes the absolute climax of the revelation of, of what you're like. The clear consequences for the seriousness of our sin and also the extravagant unending, unimaginable love that would come and pursue us. So we say thank you. Give us tender hearts in your mighty name. Amen. Verse 12, so this is, this is then the answer. So we don't want hard hearts. We don't want to rebel against God. We want to have tender hearts before the Lord. So he says, take care, brothers, or family of God, brothers and sisters, take care. Lest there be any of you in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So take care. Be thoughtful. Be diligent. This is the, the life of Christianity every single day. 
We have been contending to put away this idea of Sunday Christianity now for a number of years. We've been contending to set that aside and embrace everyday Christianity. That's why we say live the message. The message is meant to be lived out every day, Monday through Sunday, not just we put on a mask on Sunday morning, we sing the songs and we go on our way. No, this is meant to be a message that now immerses you in a kingdom from another world. It involves all that we are. This is what he says to take care, to cultivate and to stoke and to nurture in your life. This unbelieving heart leads us to fall away from a living God. A living God that is present, Emmanuel, present with us. An unbelieving heart is simply a heart that's more convinced by what it sees rather than what Jesus says rather than what's been clearly revealed to us in God's word. I would propose to us this morning that an unbelieving heart is always believing in something. It's just wrong, it's error. It's placing trust in oneself. So his answer is take care. Don't let this be your destiny. Don't let this be the trajectory of your life. An unbelieving heart that wanders away from the living God. Verse 13, but exhort one another every day, every day, every day, every day, every day, not just Sundays, every day. As long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Like remember those days in Israel's wanderings. Don't allow your heart to be hardened as in those days, but rather stoke yourselves. Like coals are hotter together than they are you know, by themselves. Gather yourselves together and exhort one another daily. Spur each other on. Like allow each other to, to be fanned into flame. The, the gift that the Lord is working in our midst. This is how we take care, as he says in verse 12, take care. A major part of our hearts remaining soft before the Lord is the result of community. So we exhort one another daily. As long as it's still called today, Jesus never died for a Sunday morning Christianity. He gave his life for a people, a people devoted to him. And that means something for our everyday life. To me, that, especially for a younger generation, I would say that's the only sort of real Christianity that makes any sense. The whole form of Christianity that just comprises of a Sunday morning is illogical. If we're talking about the living, loving God that came and redeemed a people and called them to a mission to himself, that sort of, like a, that sort of message only, really is only deserving of one response, and that's all of our devotion, 100% of our lives thrown before him, saying, Lord, have your way. Be our leader. Be our supreme leader. It's you and you alone. Verse 16, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? 
And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So there was like a like a, a sobering message of warning here from the writer of Hebrews to these believers. It was like, there is a, a long track record here within Israel of them not faring well when it came to having an unbelieving heart. So take care. Fix your gaze upon Jesus. Don't allow your heart to fall into unbelief. So history gives us this warning. And I believe we'll, We have a responsibility then. We have been given this clear warning, this warning of wisdom. Allow our hearts to remain tender to the Lord. So let me just summarize what I believe the Lord is saying. Number one is this, that Jesus is the better leader of our lives. I want us to settle that in our hearts say no to that teenage rebellion in our hearts, which is no respecter of ages. Even as we get older, there's still that teenage rebellion in our hearts towards the Lord sometimes. When we get blessed with a lot, when we get blessed with prosperity, we can be like, oh, hey, here's my my ticket to live my life however I want. Just like a young person maybe whose life is ruined because of their being gifted some large sum of money or something. Or the opposite. Life has been really difficult and we're with, without. We, we have a lack. And so we raise up our fist at the Lord and say, we know better. I don't want him to lead my life. I want to lead my own life. Let's settle it in our hearts. Jesus is the best leader of our lives. Let's just establish it, that our hearts can't be trusted. Do not follow your heart. Jeremiah 17 tells us the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. That's why scripture tells us to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Instead, allow your heart to trust in him. Tell your heart who to trust in. The Lord truly knows best Submit your heart to Jesus. Love the Lord with all your heart and trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know, another part of this being established in our lives, this pattern of continuing to submit ourselves to that refrain that Jesus is a better leader is done in community. So we submit our hearts to trusted friends as well. Because this, this really goes both ways, who we choose to really make our company of people. And we see this in the Old Testament. There is this, this group of people in the, in the Old Testament called the rabble. And the rabble were these people who really stirred the pot to grumble against Moses and God's leaders and ultimately against God himself. The rabble were these people that began to gossip and grumble and... and through uh, this really unbelieving, kind of stoke the unbelieving heart in the children of Israel. 
So that's one way the trajectory of our life can go. We can go into the, the dark recesses and the corners of, of people that really are not stoking faith and right understanding of what the Lord is like. And our, the trajectory of our life will go in that direction. Or we can choose to submit our hearts to friends, trusted friends that remind us of truth, that help you know, uh, help us get away from the ditches on either side and come back to the straight and narrow that remind us of the way to go. Submit your heart to trusted friends because Jesus is the better leader of our lives. I remember I haven't had uh, real seasons of rebellion in my life, but the, the closest that came to, uh, the, I guess the closest thing to it in my life was my my freshman year of college, at a real season of questioning. And um, there's a lot of things that collided my, my freshman, so this is now 20 years ago, my freshman year of college, as I was starting engineering school, I had walked with the Lord for a number of years at that point, but had deep-seated insecurities, had deep questions about uh, what the future of my life was gonna look like, and I remember beginning to question both who I was, who God created me to be. And I began to actually distance myself from my most trusted friends. This was my, my brother who was newer to the Lord and my lifelong friend Tanya and others. I began to distance myself from them. And after, after this whole season, I, I know people in our community were they were asking the question, what is going on with Drew? Like they were all, they were all seeing it from the outside. They were, they were questioning the trajectory of my life. Like what is going on with him? Questioning really the, the choices that I was making. It really wasn't until spring semester of my freshman year that I was in a, what we called guys only night where God really got my attention and I began to realize how distant I had become in community and how how I needed these, these other guys in my life to speak life into me, to remind me of truth. And so I thank God for his grace revealed in community. I thank, I thank God for, for his grace to pursue me if, even in my rebellion and my stubbornness in my heart. So I'd encourage you to submit your heart to Jesus, to submit your heart to trusted friends. Because your heart in itself cannot be trusted. Therefore, submit it to others and submit it to the Lord. Allow it to be tested. And ultimately, allow it to become submitted to then Jesus himself as the best leader of your life. Second is this. So Jesus is the better leader of our lives. Second is this. Jesus' mission is better than our mission. The writer of Hebrews is stoking their heart, their childlike hearts, that want to be a part of something bigger than themselves, to pursue this promised land, uh, uh, to pursue this, this, this future destiny that God has allotted for them. That is the antidote for our chronic boredom. It's Jesus and his mission to establish a dwelling place for his presence amongst the people, to reveal himself and his glory to a world that desperately needs him to establish his house. So the Lord's plan for us is to be at rest within his leadership 
and his mission. The language here is, he's recalling um, the, book, the book of Psalms and the children of Israel's destiny to, to be established in the promised land. That was real history, uh, real moments, real geography, all that. But it really was a foreshadowing of, of our journey of going with the Lord on a mission to a place of perfect rest. And that place of, of rest being expanded as the Lord's kingdom and dominion is expanded on the earth. This is the best mission for our life. And I would ex exhort you this morning to pledge your allegiance to his mission for your life. Place your allegiance in him and him alone. I would propose to you that this simplifies things greatly for our lives. Rather than trying to wander aimlessly from one endeavor to the next, or one hobby to the next, or kind of one exciting endeavor to the next, trying to find our purpose, we instead submit ourselves to Jesus and to his mission, to him building a place for his presence to dwell on the earth. And then every day we wake up and we say, okay, Lord, what's your assignment for me today? What assignment do you have for me today? If the king of the universe, the Lord of all the ages, is present with me and I'm a host of his presence, Lord, what is your assignment for me today? That is a crazy exciting way to live. And there's, there's no reason for us to ever live another dull day on this planet. We're living life with the king of the universe, his presence abiding with us in our homes, in our bedrooms, in our workplaces. We say, Lord, what is your assignment for me today? And it's in that, that conduit of submitted you know, peoples whose hearts are pledged in allegiance to him and him alone that he, he reveals his kingdom and what he's like and it expands from glory to glory on the earth. And we enter his rest. Well, what assignment do you have for me today? The, the more often I've chosen to ask that question in my life, not only have I, have I lived with greater intentionality and greater purpose and greater joy, but I've also chosen the better things over the lesser things. I've often noticed as I submit my heart to the Lord to say, Lord, what's your assignment for me today? The things that he highlights to me are the things that should be, you know, you're all in a way further place in your spirituality than me, so there, there's something that I should, I should already know at this point. The things the Lord highlights to me is a way to bless my wife that day a way for me to sacrificially love her. The things the Lord highlights to me is a way for me to get to my kids' hearts once again, a way for me to, to win their hearts in regards to the seasons that they're walking, walking through. The things the Lord highlights to me as I say, Lord, what is your, your assignment for me today? It's somebody in this church family, somebody in my life group that the Lord highlights and says, Drew, reach out to them. Give them this word of encouragement or invite them to a lunch or coffee. Those are the things that the Lord highlights in my mind or it's reaching out to my neighbors, literally in my neighborhood that is. It's the things that we say maybe are uh, elementary 
or should almost be simple at this point. Those are the things that the Lord dials in with like crystal clear vision and clarity in my heart. Ah, yes, and something gets stoked in my heart. This is what it's all about. This is what the gospel lived out, the king of glory living in my midst. This was all about, and I choose his mission. There was always this restlessness in Israel in their wanderings. Is they're gathered around the glory of God. You know, the tabernacle was set in the center of the camp. They're beholding the beauty of the glory of God. His manifest presence would actually come in the form of a cloud or the form of fire at night. But there's like this, um, just like immaturity in hearts when we begin to look around and we're like, is this it? Get the presence of God, right? The, the, the presence of the glory of God sitting right in front of you. You're like, is this it? Or when are we getting on to this uh, promised land Moses was talking about? I've, I've heard him talk about it. When are we getting there? When are we going to get moving, right? Some of us, we need, we need to get moving. But when we actually stop and we behold him and we look at him in his beauty, the very ethos of his kingdom, the very like character and nature of his kingdom gets manifest in our midst. And the most important things get dealt with. The most important things get addressed in our lives. And I don't believe we can ever have another boring day in our life. Any other mission is a lesser mission. It's the Lord's mission and it's his ways. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. A.W. Tozer said this, and I'm going to close. A.W. Tozer said this, I do not hesitate to say that much of what is going on in the name of Christianity today is simply boredom. And A.W. Tozer wrote this 70 years ago. 70, 70. I do not hesitate to say that much of what is going on in the name of Christianity today is simply boredom. God says, why don't you call on me? I'm here, and I'm ready to help you. I'll do these things for you. The voice of unbelief says this, things will be as they are. There is no use. But the voice of Jehovah says, behold, I will do a new thing. I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So the Lord's purpose on the earth through us is to stoke faith in our hearts that he truly can be trusted, that our hearts can be submitted to him, and that his mission is a better mission than any mission that we could come up with. If you'd all stand here, if you'd all want us to respond to the Lord. I'd simply like to say this, that we boldly on a weekly basis proclaim Jesus and that the centrality of the cross or the, the, the centerpiece of the cross because I don't feel like there's anything more that Jesus needs to do to convince us, convince us of his adequacy as a leader. The cross is the greatest declaration of all creation, that he is greater than our rebellion, greater than our answers, greater than our side interests. Jesus on the cross. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.